Hello. Welcome to Tales from the Shadows, 12 Stories at Christmas. My name is Emily, and I'm going to be telling you some stories. Today is the first day of Christmas, and we have a partridge in a pear tree. The story I'm going to tell you, it contains no partridges, but it does feature a pear tree. I hope you enjoy. Once upon a time, there was a kingdom famous for its pears. The pears that grew in this kingdom were the sweetest, juiciest, goldenest pears that had ever been seen. In fact, the pears were the gold of the kingdom, its pride, its joy, its chief export to other countries. Every autumn, cartloads of pears would leave the kingdom and in would come spices, metals, silks, all sorts of wonderful things. The people of the kingdom grew rich and fat and praised the wonderful fruit that brought them such bounty. Even the king himself spent as much time tending his orchards as he did holding court. Now it happened that one day, the devil, sitting on his throne of flames, was looking out on the world, and his eye came across this kingdom. It seemed to him that the people of this kingdom were far too happy, were far too content. The devil was of the opinion that people who are happy and content will rarely cause any great mischief or evil. And so he decided to change things. He picked a spot on the edge of the kingdom, just a small spot, easy to miss, only about the size of one or two farms. He waved his hands over it and took the goodness out of the earth. And from that day, the trees that stood there bore no fruit. The land the devil had stolen from belonged to one man, one man who had a wife and a daughter. The families struggled as their farm began to fail. The devil watched for one year, two years, three years, and then moved on to the next stage of his plan. He travelled to the kingdom of the pears and went to the home of the man whose land he had stolen from. He knocked on the door, and when the man opened it, he said, If you give me what is standing behind your house, I shall fill every cupboard and drawer in your home with gold. Now, the man knew that all that stood behind his house was a pear tree that for the last three years had not borne fruit. So he readily agreed and shook the devil's hand. The devil smiled and said, It is done. Every cupboard and drawer in this house is now filled with gold. The man went to check. He opened a cupboard and gold coins fell out at his feet. He opened a drawer and it was true, it was filled with gold. He ran about the house, and indeed every cupboard, every drawer, was filled with gold. The man was utterly delighted, thanking the devil over and over again for this marvellous gift. But the devil just smiled and said, And now, my payment. I shall take what is standing behind your house. The man and the devil walked around behind the house, and standing there, in front of the barren pear tree, was the man's daughter. Here is my prize, said the devil, reaching out to take the young woman. Father, father, what have you done? She cried as she ran from the devil's grasp. Fair is fair. What's promised is promised, said the devil. I shall return tomorrow. See that my prize is ready and waiting for me. And with that he disappeared in a smell of sulphur. The young woman cried and wept, but what could she do? Her father had promised her to the devil. Her mother, though, gathered the salt from her tears and made a circle around the young woman. And when the devil came the next day, 
he found he could not cross the circle of salt and could not take his prize. He rounded upon the man. What's promised is promised. If I leave here without your daughter's hands, a fate worse than any of you can dream of shall befall you. The man cowered in fear before the devil. He took up an axe, crossed the circle of salt tears, and chopped off both his daughter's hands before presenting them to the devil. The devil then vanished with his prize, leaving the young woman there with two bleeding stumps where her hands had once been. Her mother bound up the wounds and staunched the bleeding. Her father then fell before her, begging for her to forgive him. He hadn't known when he'd made the deal with the devil that she was what was standing behind the house. But now they were rich. Now they would have no more worries. She was a rich woman and so she would have no need of hands. They would have servants to do everything. She would have a maid to dress her in the morning and a maid to undress her in the evening. She would have a separate servant to chop up her food and feed it to her. She could even have a servant whose job it was to pick her nose. She could have anything her heart desired now that they were rich. The girl stared at the stumps where her hands had been. Slowly she raised her eyes and looked at her father. Then she spoke. The only thing I want from you is a pair of good, stiff boots. The man shoved gold into his pockets and ran off and brought back a pair of good, stiff boots. He knelt before his daughter, placed them on her feet and laced them up and said, See, see everything your heart desires, I will give you. These boots are the only things I want from you now. And so saying, she stood up and walked away. She walked and walked and walked and kept walking. She didn't know where she was walking to. All that mattered was what she was walking away from. Every time she came to a crossroads, she took the road less travelled. When she saw a town ahead of her, she would walk around it. If she heard other travellers coming up behind her on the road, she would leave it and hide herself among bushes and trees. She did not wish to be seen. She did not wish to be asked what had become of her hands. She had no desire to retell and relive that tale. She walked for many days and nights. When she was thirsty, she either had to kneel at a river and dip her face into the water, or turn her face up to the rain that fell from the sky. When she was hungry, she ate the low-hanging fruit as it still hung from the branch. She walked until she had worn out the stiff pair of boots till the soles were nothing but holes, till the leather had become cracked and torn, until she was able to kick them off, and then she walked barefoot. And it was barefoot that she walked into an orchard, a beautiful orchard where pear trees grew, each tree laden down under the weight of rich, sweet, golden pears. She took a bite out of one pear, and then another, and another, and ate until her belly was full, then she found a safe place in the orchard, hid herself, and fell asleep. One day, the king was walking through his orchard, tending to the trees, when he noticed something strange. One of the pears, which hung about level from his face, seemed to have a bite taken out of it. And not the bite from a worm or a bird. This was a large bite. A bite that came from a mouth with teeth. He saw there was another fruit, with a similar bite taking from it, and another and another. 
He counted at least half a dozen trees where something had taken a bite from the fruit, but left it still hanging on its branch. He asked the most experienced gardener if they had ever seen anything like this before, and the gardener hadn't. Both would have chalked it up to just one of those anomalies if the next day they had not found more pears similarly marked with a bite. The king decided he would get to the bottom of this and find out what was going on in his orchard. And so that night he sat out under the pear trees. The sun went down and the moon came up. And as the king was just starting to nod off into sleep, some movement caught his eye. There was a pile of soft dry leaves and soft dry moss that had been raked together. Something was in this pile of leaves, something that was moving and wriggling and shimmying and slithering its way out. He thought it must be some great snake, some huge serpent. But then the head was free, and he saw it was the head of a woman. The head was followed by shoulders and arms. A torso, hips, legs and two feet followed, but no hands. The king watched as the handless woman walked up to one of the pear trees, opened her mouth and bit one of the low-hanging fruits. She moved from tree to tree until it seemed she had eaten her fill. Then she returned back to her nest of dry leaves and mosses. She slithered and shimmied and wriggled till she was entirely covered up with leaves and no one would suspect that there was a woman without hands buried beneath them. The girl without hands had spent three nights in the orchard and did not know that she had been spied on the third by the king. When she woke on the fourth night, she found a small table sitting under one of the trees. On it was a plate with bread, buttered and cut into small, bite-sized pieces. There was a bowl too filled with milk and another filled with water. She thought that someone must have left behind part of their lunch. She knelt beside the table and ate the bread, drank the milk and drank the bowl of water before going back to her nest of leaves and mosses. When she woke the next day, the table was still there. But this time, on the plate of bread, there was cheese and a little meat, all cut up into small pieces that could be swallowed in one bite. There was a bowl of milk, a bowl of water, and a bowl of wine. The girl with no hands knelt, ate the meat, the cheese and bread, drank the milk, the wine and the water, and then returned to her nest. On the third occasion, when she woke and found the table, there were two chairs seated on either side, and in one of those chairs was sitting a man. The king of the land of pears sat in the orchard with the girl with no hands, and I don't know which was the first to fall or which was the first to realise it, but at some stage the two fell in love. They were married, and the king had a pair of porcelain hands made so that the queen might wear her wedding band, the twin of his. The pair were very happy, happier still when they found out that they were to welcome a child into the world. The devil, though, had not forgotten his plan to cause mischief in this land. And so, when the expectant queen was in her ninth month, the devil sent one of his imps up to cause a little mischief on the edge of the kingdom. Nothing too serious, just enough that the king himself would need to come and sort it out. The king left his pregnant wife, promising to be back as soon as he could. He had his own mother, who was a skilled midwife, come to the castle in readiness for the birth of the baby. The king's mother promised that should the child be born before he returned, she would at once send word to him. One night, before the king had returned, 
the young queen did indeed begin to go into labour. The dowager queen, her mother-in-law, was at her side and helped her deliver a beautiful, healthy baby boy. She placed the child upon her daughter-in-law's breast and then at once sent a message to the king saying that his son had been born. The devil, though, had been waiting. And when the messenger carrying this joyful news was changing horses, the devil swapped the letter. The king received the message marked with the royal seal, but when he opened it, he found a letter saying that his wife had given birth to a horrible, misshapen thing, some sort of disgusting changeling thing, something that seemed half bear or half wolf and in no part at all human. The king was surprised, to say the least, but he sent back a message saying that mother and child were to be given all of the care and kindness that could be offered to them. Of course, the devil was quick to intercept this message as well, replacing it with one of his own. When the dowager queen opened the letter from her son, she was shocked to read that he ordered the death of both mother and child. Now, the dowager queen was a kind woman, and she could not bear the thought of mother and child being slain, so she went to the young queen and told her that she must flee, that her life and the life of her child were in danger. The young queen asked that her baby be tied in a sling to her chest so that she could feed him easily and that she be given a pot on a chain to hang around her neck so that she could draw water. When this was done, the young queen with no hands fled off into the night. She walked all through the night and for much of the day, but when the sun was at its highest, she sat down beneath a tree in the shade and began to nurse her child. As she was nursing the babe, she saw a small snake slithering along the ground. The snake stopped at her feet, raised its head and said, Please, I am being chased. Will you hide me and keep me safe? The woman with no hands felt sorry for the little snake, and so she told him to get into the pot that hung around her neck. No sooner had the little snake slithered up her leg and placed itself in the pot, then bursting through the bushes came a hawk, a mongoose and a badger. They asked the woman with no hands if she had seen a snake. She nodded and said yes, it had gone that way. And she gestured with one of the stumps of her arms. The three then took off in hot pursuit in the direction she had pointed. Once they were gone, the little snake poked its head out of the pot. Thank you so much. You have saved me. Let me return the favour and keep you safe. And so the little snake travelled with the woman with no arms and her baby. The snake sat in the pot that hung around the woman's neck. It poked its little head out, tasting the air with its tongue. It told them where to find safe places to sleep, food to eat and water to drink. The snake knew all the secret places and of all the hidden things, which was why the hawk the badger and the mongoose had been hunting them. The three thought they knew too much for such a little snake. One day, the woman said that she wanted to wash, and so the snake directed her to where there was a pool of water. As the woman stepped into the pool, the snake climbed a tree and sat on a branch in the sun. The woman with no hands stepped gingerly into the water. She had expected it to be cold, but she found that it was pleasantly warm. This is a special pool. It has healing powers, so they say, said the snake from its patch of sunlight. The woman with no hands stepped in, and the water rose to her ankles, to her knees, 
up over her hips and at last to her waist. The little baby cooed and giggled and began to splash about, but as it splashed about it slipped out of the sling that held it tight to its mother's chest. The woman with no hands cried as her baby fell into the water and disappeared below the surface. She cried out to the snake, Help! Help! My baby has fallen in the water! The snake moved its head sleepily. Just pick him up. The woman who was feeling around in the water with her feet cried out in exasperation, But I have no hands! Dip your stumps in the water. See your hands in your mind's eye, picking up the babe. The woman reached her stumps into the water and began to feel about. She tried to think of her hands. She shut her eyes and tried to imagine picking her baby son up from out of the water. She felt something soft and warm. She drew it out and when she opened her eyes, there in her hands was her baby son. In her hands... Her hands had returned. She laughed and held her crying son tight to her, and then she began to cry as well. The snake flicked its tongue in the air. See, I told you this water was special. The king had eventually returned. The first thing he did upon arriving at the palace was ask to see his wife and child. His mother came down in a fury, brandishing the letter she had received from him the letter commanding the death of mother and child. The king produced his own letter, the letter claiming that his wife had given birth to a monster, and it didn't take the two royal heads long to figure out that someone had been playing them a mischief. When the king heard how his mother had sent his wife and child away from the palace, she thought in order to save them, he saddled up his horse and went in search of them. He rode far and wide, and every person he met he asked, have you seen a woman with no hands, a woman who has a child in a sling tied to her chest? But no one had seen the woman with no hands. After all, the little grey snake had kept her safe and kept her far from any human sight. The woman who now had her hands restored lived happily with her child and the little snake. She built them a little house in the middle of the wood. The snake told her how to disguise it so that even if someone was to walk right by it, they would not see it. One day, as she sat dangling her laughing son on her knee, the little grey snake poked its head up. It stuck its tongue in the air and tasted it. Something is coming. Someone is coming. Who is it? What is it? asked the woman. A man seated upon a horse. He wears a band of silver on his brow, a band of gold upon his finger. His cloak is purple but covered with mud and dust. His horse is chestnut and shines like a new conquer, but the dirt of the road has made it dim. Why, if I didn't know better, I would say that sounded like my husband, the king, said the woman. Perhaps it is, said the snake. Climb the tallest tree and you will see him riding by. The woman tied her babe in its sling and climbed the tallest tree just as the snake had said. She saw the man on the horse ride right below the tree. She looked down and saw it was indeed her husband. The silver crown he wore on his brow was stained with sweat, but the gold of his wedding band still gleamed on his finger. His purple cloak was stained with dirt and his beautiful chestnut horse was covered in dust from the road. It is my husband, 
But what is he doing here? He looks like he's been riding far and wide. Indeed, the king had been riding for many, many days. He was tired, and so he stopped his horse in the shade of the tree. I shall find out what he wants, said the snake. It slithered down the tree and right up to the king. Sire, what are you doing in my woods? asked the snake. Oh, little snake, said the king. Please tell me, have you seen a woman with no hands, a woman with a child tied to her chest? Perhaps, said the snake. Why do you ask? The woman with no hands is my wife. The child tied to her chest is my son. A great mischief and a great evil was done to us both. I am searching for her, to bring her back to my home. If she will come, that is. Please, little snake, tell me, have you seen her? As the king spoke, the woman untied the sling which held her baby tight to her chest. She used the sling to slowly lower the child to the ground behind the king. Sire, said the snake, if you seek your son, you should look behind you. The king turned around and saw on the ground behind him a little baby boy. He knelt down and clasped the child in his arms and began to weep with joy over its head. Can it be? Can this be my child? said the king between his tears. Yes, said the little snake, watching as the woman climbed down from the tree. And if you look behind you now, sire, you shall see your wife. The king turned around and standing there as if by magic was his wife, his wife who was holding out her arms to him, and at the end of her arms were two beautiful hands. How can this be? cried the king. This must be some dream, some dream that has restored to me my child, my wife, and my wife's hands. If it is a dream, sire, said the snake, then you have dreamt all your waking days. If this is a dream, it is a dream that will continue until we all go to our eternal sleep. The king felt he didn't care if he was dreaming or waking. He had his son. He had his wife. He lifted his wife up onto the back of his horse. He lifted his son and set him in his wife's lap. He lifted the little snake and curled about the queen's brow like a crown. And then they all set off. King, queen, child, snake, and of course the horse. And much to the dismay and frustration of the devil, who had tried to cause so much strife and misery, they all lived happily ever after.